This episode of The Productivity Show is brought to you by Casper, the internet's favorite mattress company. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com TPS and using promo code TPS at checkout. Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, I'm joined by Marmel Reposar, Asian efficiency's very own Scrum Master. Marmel and I dive deep on how we use Scrum here at Asian efficiency in order to consistently and systematically create podcast episodes, video courses for the dojo, and everything else related to Asian efficiency's day-to-day operation. We talk about some of the things that Marmel has learned from her experience as Scrum Master for Asian Efficiency and share three of the specific challenges that we've had to overcome in the four plus years that we've been using the Scrum framework, as well as the five reasons that we love Scrum so much here at Asian Efficiency. If you're looking for an explanation of Scrum, you'll want to check out my interview with Lucas Smith in episode 189. But if you want to see how we personally use Scrum and implement it here at Asian Efficiency, then this episode is for you. You can find links to everything that we discuss in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 191. And now, on with the show. Marmel Reposar, welcome to The Productivity Show. Hi, Mike. Thanks. Great to be here, finally. (laughs) Yep. I'm excited to have you on. Now, for those of you, or for those listeners who are not familiar with Marmel, she is a member of the Asian Efficiency Team, and I feel like I've been, me and Tan have collectively been trying to get you on the podcast for quite a while. (laughs) So I'm thrilled that we finally got you set up with the right gear, and you are here to talk to us today about Scrum. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself and just explain a little bit about what you do for the Asian Efficiency Team, Marmel, before we jump in here. Cool. So yeah, um, I've been with uh, Asian Efficiency for I think for nearly three years now. Um, You know, before Asian Efficiency, my background was really um, HR. And so when when, uh, Tan interviewed me for the role and you know, asked me if I wanted to be the Scrum Master. My my first answer was, "What is a Scrum Master?" Because I really did not know what Scrum was about. I didn't know that there is a role for you know for a Scrum Master, right? Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how I started with agent efficiency. And to give everyone a bit of a background with you know how agent efficiency started with Scrum. Basically, it was a process, right? Um, so we had a team. So there was uh, the the Scrum team, so to speak, and we had the product owner, which is Tan. But Asian Efficiency did not have, you know, a Scrum master, and that's where I I came in. Awesome, and you've actually evolved your role quite a bit with the Asian Efficiency team since you joined, because in addition to being the Scrum master. You also create some of the videos uh, specifically for the the dojo. You know, we're recording this in front of the the dojo audience, and, and Nate says hi, Marmel. <laughs> hi, Nate. <laughs> uh, people seem to be excited to uh, to, to meet you uh, via the podcast. But uh, so for people who uh, watch the the videos inside of the dojo, you've done a lot of the the editing when it, and even some of the creation of the the keynote slides for the videos themselves. Yes, you are correct. My role has evolved. And I think that's the one great thing about um, being a scrum team and and using agile is because um, there is flexibility, uh, flexibility. And um, just because I'm the scrum master, it doesn't mean that I don't have to take on another role within the team. And it's, it's great to be able to help out and uh, one role of a scrum master is really being a servant leader, so helping out the team in any way that I can. And one of which was, you know, helping out with, um, with the videos or editing the 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 videos or the slide decks as well. Now I have to ask you, Marmel, because you mentioned that you have a background in HR, 
And as the scrum master, it's basically your job to make sure that people are working on their issues. <laughs> right. Uh, how did you, how did you, or how do you reconcile or how long maybe did it take? Maybe just talk to the general experience of having to, uh, having to confront people via <laughs> Jira oftentimes <laughs> about making sure that the work's getting done. Uh, did your HR background help with that or did it, did it hinder that? Is it a totally different skill set that you had to learn? Um, I would say that it really helped me a lot um, because being in HR is the same, being, you know, being a servant leader as well and having that HR background, meaning that, you know, your people skills is very important, that you know how to relate to other people, to empathize and, you know, to understand what they're going through. If they're having a hard time finishing a task, then, um, you know, you're, or I'm able to, to see that as well. So, um, no, it, it did not hinder, but it actually, it actually helped out there. I think, uh, when I first started, what hindered me was really more of, you know, I hesitated because I was still unfamiliar. You know, I was in unfam in a very unfamiliar territory. So I hesitated, but you know, um, during the course of my interactions with the team, with my one-on-one with the team and with Tan, which is very important as well, um, you know, building that relationship was really important. And when that relationship was built, you know, there were, there was, there was trust already, then it became a lot easier just telling people in the team, Hey, what's going on with this task? But, uh, you know, um, when is this going to get done? Of course, it is said in a very loving manner. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now that that leads into a, a, a point that I want to talk about before we go uh, down that rabbit hole. I want to just call out uh, we're not going to talk about the basics of Scrum in this particular episode because we had uh, Scrum trainer Lucas Smith on the podcast in TPS 189. So w if you want all the details about how to implement Scrum generally check out that episode, but we're going to focus on this episode about how we use Scrum here at Asian Efficiency. And we're going to talk about some of the, the challenges that we've run into. Uh, we're going to talk about the five reasons that we use Scrum after using the, the framework for the last four plus years. And we're going to talk about three challenges that we had implementing Scrum that you can avoid and get fixed. All right, so that's kind of the outline for this particular episode. But I want to talk about something that you just said uh, about the the relationship and the trust. So I know that uh, one of the books that Tan makes everybody read when they join the Asian Efficiency Team is the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, now, you, I know, read this book and it. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, it sounds like this impacted you, but what was your biggest takeaway from that book as it pertains to working with the Asian efficiency team? Any aha moments from that book that kind of influenced the way that we work? One of the things that really struck me when with that book, Five Distinctions of a Team, is really the first level, which is which is trust. That once we do not have that, everything else crumbles and it's always based on that like um whenever we hire someone new on the team and we ask them to read that book and when we share about what we learned that that is one point that i always you know discuss with a new team member is that building that basis of trust because it's very important if we do not have that then we are not able to work or function as a great team Nice. And so there's some specific things that we do uh, that help us build that trust. We'll get into the meetings structure and how we've adapted this to our specific situation. You know, we're a small remote team uh, in, in a little bit here. Uh, Tan wants to know in the chat, what do you like most about being the scrum master? <laughs> being the scrum master, what... Uh that feeling I get when I look at the board and we still have like 
two or three more days before the sprint would end and the backlog is already empty and most tasks are already done. That feeling that, you know, that you're part of that team, ensuring that the team gets their tasks done, I guess that's the that's the best feeling. And I, I guess that's, I don't know, that really makes me happy. <laughs> nice. All right, so let's uh, talk about specifically how we implement this at Asian Efficiency. So I mentioned we're a small team, and in a small team, sometimes you don't have all of the different defined roles. And again, we covered all of the roles uh, specifically in the Scrum Framework with uh, Lucas Smith in episode 189. But just for review, very quickly, there's uh, three different roles, really. There's the Scrum Master, which is you, Marmel. There's the Product Owner, which is going to be different based on the project. I'll let you talk to that specifically. And then there's the Scrum Team, which is everybody who is uh, who is doing the work and getting it done. So do you want to kind of talk to us a little bit about how Asian Efficiency uh, has adapted this and how our team fills those roles? Yeah, so um, for for Asian Efficiency, uh, Tian is our PO or our product owner, although Tan would also do some of the work, which would in turn mean that he's also part of the other uh, Scrum team. And then, yeah, there's me, um, the Scrum Master, but I also do work in the sprint, which also makes me a member of the Scrum team. And then, yes, uh, the Scrum team. And then you are also a product owner, Mike, uh, for example, for our podcast uh, project. At the same time, um, you help out with with backlog grooming. For other teams, you know, the bigger scale teams, they have either a product owner, they have their scrum master that might handle one or more scrum teams, but they, he or she does not do any actual work. And then there there are the team members who does not do scrum work and are not PO. But for us, because we are a small team, um, and I, I think it, it really works for us um, because uh, of our different skill sets as well. Yeah, it can be a little bit challenging to switch those hats all the time. Uh, so we do backlog grooming myself uh, and Brooks as, as well for different issues, uh, different areas of, of responsibility. And uh, I know that it's a little bit difficult for me anyways to be working on work in the sprint and then to kind of take a step back and think conceptually about the uh, grooming the backlog for the the other sprints and, and thinking strategically about the things that we need to to get done. Um, how do you reconcile those different modes? Any tips or tricks that you use to make sure that you're being effective, no matter what what approach you're taking to whether it be you know working on the things in the sprint or thinking about uh, the the sprint and managing the issues that are a part of it. So how I do it, it, it might it might differ for for other for other people, but for me, when I start my my day, when I start work, I first put on my Scrum Master hat. I go over the board. Um, you know, I, I look at what task needs to move forward or what might not be moving forward. So you know, just checking all all the tasks in the board, and after that, I put on my team member hat. That's when I do uh, the work that's on the board, and then um, during the during the huddle or you know before our huddle, I put on my Scrum Master hat again. You know, just checking the board for any new movements while I was being a you know a team member. So that's what I would do. That's what I do. Yeah. Uh, somewhat related, and I'm not sure if you have a specific answer to this question. So that's okay if you don't. But Ankit, I think is how you say your name. I apologize if I pronounced it wrong. In the uh, in the Slack team is asking, you know, what he understands from Scrum is that it's a team based technique. Do you have any tips for implementing it for a solopreneur? Uh, so when I talked to Lucas, he talked about how a lot of big organizations use Scrum, and there's obviously certain challenges and also advantages uh, of using the framework in that particular area. But when you're talking about a solopreneur, I think you kind of take this changing hats thing to a whole nother level. Uh, (laughs) Do you have any specific advice for Ankit? 
Yeah, there, there, there are some probably things that in Scrum that you can still implement even if you're a one-person team, like having a backlog and doing, you know, doing retrospective or or reviews. So again, Scrum being a framework. To, uh, you know, look at it um, with your point of view and think about the things that you can take out of that framework and, you know, make it work for you. Again, it's going to be uh, an iterative process. Like for us, we do two week sprints. And if you wanted to do two week sprints or one week sprints, it really depends on you and what works for you. So basically what you're, what you're saying is that it's an iterative process and you should pick the pieces that are going to work for you and not try to implement the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> according to the official, you know, documentation, because that's what we've done at Asian efficiency is we've adapted this to the way that our company works. So you had mentioned the retrospective. Uh, I know this is something that's a little bit different for us. You want to explain how we've adapted the retrospective to fit the way that we work? Sure. Yeah. Uh, funny you just mentioned the retrospective because earlier on we were talking about the you know the five this this functions of a team. So the sprint retrospective is is what we call a Scrum event. Um, basically, the goal of the retrospective is to identify improvements to be made. So, and again, if you've not read the five dysfunction of the team, I suggest that you read it. You know, for some, the retrospective can be ego busting, um, ego busting meeting, but in AA, it's not like that. So we al- we would always focus on what went wrong and how we can address it. How can we make it better? And we never focus on who. Right. We we don't focus on who made the screw up, although if I knew ahead of time that I made a screw up, I voluntarily say that, OK, it's me. I'm sorry. You know, just just an example, <laughs> a few sprints ago, it slipped my mind to check a podcast issue, which nearly rolled over. I say nearly because thankfully it did not. And Mike was on leave that sprint <laughs> Um, so yeah, and it was on me and it was a lesson learned. And at the same time, it was also discussed during their retrospective. Um, I really, and I truly believe that because in Asian efficiency, we are all open to feedback that we are able to go beyond that ouch, that kind of hurt to, yeah, you know what? You're right. I need to work on this or thank you for that feedback. I really needed that. Yeah. Hashtag Kaizen. It's one of our (laughs) core values. You know, those small improvements, those add up to the big results. So I think that that's one of the things coming back to Ankit's question that you could apply, even if you are a solopreneur, uh, is those three questions that we use in our retrospective. What should we start doing? So things maybe that we recognize there's a process that's broken or something needs to change that we aren't currently doing right now, something that we should start doing. That's question number one. Uh, Question number two, what should we stop doing? I think a lot of people don't ask this question and they just end up continuing to do things that really aren't contributing a lot of value. Uh, And then the uh, third one, any lessons that we've, we've learned, surprises that have come up along the way. Uh, Documenting those types of things is important as well, uh, because nothing goes exactly according to plan. And sometimes things work out better. Sometimes things uh, work out worse. Uh, Oftentimes, we we think that we're going to be able to do this big thing, and we're going to do it completely efficiently because we're Asian efficiency. And uh, it doesn't always go that way. So I think a lot of these lessons that we learn tend to be, you know, when estimating this type of thing in the future, we need to account for this. Do you have any specific uh, advice for implementing those uh, those three questions uh, and then maybe adapting them to uh, an individual scenario like uh, like on Keats? For Ankit, I would suggest that when you do your you know uh, your reviews. You that you have to think about, you know, about those questions. I think, I think you were mentioning about what went well and what could have gone better, right? And what we have in our in our retrospective boards are specific areas, right? Like for the process, what went well for this process, and what could have gone better for this process. So I would suggest that he uh, that he would do the same thing. Be specific on which areas that he wants to review and then just put two, the two columns, what went well and what could have gone better. 
Yeah, that's a, th- that is a little bit different than what I was talking about, but that's a very good point. So we've got, you know, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What are the surprises? But then also, like you said, based on the different areas, we've got those questions where what went well, what could have gone better? Uh, do you want to just real briefly define some of the different areas that we use those questions for? Yeah, um, just on the top of my head first, we have um, the team so basically our working relationship uh, with a team, um, then there are the priorities. And these priorities we define uh, during the quarterly planning. And we agreed on, you know, that for this quarter, we're going to be doing this. So those are our priorities. And then um, another one is um, the process in place. And then there is also technology. Yeah, uh, technology is definitely one where where I tend yeah. to post a lot of things that could have gone better. Yeah, but we <laughs> learn a lot from 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 that. And then the last but not least, everything that um, everything that would not fall onto those on those categories, we simply put under everything else. But I think those are the main items that that um, we review. So. Would you mind just explaining a little bit about the technical process of how we execute one of these retrospectives? Like maybe start at the very beginning. Um, you know, we use we use Zoom. I'll just maybe start there. You know, we use Zoom to to connect everybody, and then usually Tan is the one who's sharing his screen. But then walk us through uh, the whole process of that that entire meeting. What does that look like? Sure. So yeah, um, as you mentioned, we, we use Zoom so that we can do screen share. The first part of, of, of the meeting is really the review. So we go through what was what were done during the sprint. We don't review everything. We mostly review big ticket items or tasks where we had issues, issues on or where we would like to share the process. Or if it's an entirely new process, then we discuss it and then we demo that to the entire team, right? And then after the the review of the items, we go to our retrospective. And that's when we discuss, you know, um, the things that we should continue doing or or stop doing or start uh, start doing. Any lessons learned? We, um, we also discuss, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like what went well and what could have gone better. And this goes for everyone on the team. And and that's why we encourage our team members that during the the sprint, the sprint period to add items to to the retrospective board, as we call it. Um, after we're we're done with a retrospective, we immediately go to the sprint uh, sprint planning. The sprint planning is where is where we discuss what we're going to do for the uh, for the new sprint that is going to start that very same day. So this might be very different from from other organizations um, because for for they would. For some, they would do their review on a separate meeting and then their retrospective on a on a different meeting. But for us, it's, it just happens in in one meeting. Yeah, and there's a couple things that we've done to make that possible. I think the biggest one is that we all contribute to the backlog grooming, and then we even have a separate backlog grooming call the day before to go over every single issue that's going to be in the sprint make sure that the acceptance criteria is clear, the definition of done is there, the stories are all good, they're all estimated, so that when we get to the sprint planning, we can just say, you know, this is the same as as we looked at. These few things maybe have changed, but it makes the that part of the meeting where we need to agree on the scope of the work that we're going to do as a team a lot more, uh, a lot more streamlined. Um, what would you say are some of the things that you've learned in terms of how we how we determine how many story points we're going to do. Again, we're using terms that we've defined in, in episode 189, but uh, story points are basically how big or complicated something is, is going to be. So as a scrum master, uh, maybe you can speak a little bit to some of the things that we've learned in terms of estimating the number of story points that we can execute as a team. 
this part um, with of our Scrum journey and agent efficiency has really been a learning uh, a learning process, and I would say even until now we're we're still uh, we're still learning. So over the course of like um, like more than three years, um, there were times when we overestimated or underestimated um, the number of, of story points. So I guess we we've come to a point that we've standardized, especially for for um, tasks that are repetitive. For example, the podcast uh, podcast tasks. More or less, we've already would you say we perfected it, Mike? <laughs> like we already know. And it's the right number of story points every time. Uh, we definitely not perfected it, but we keep getting better. <laughs> One of the things that we've done recently is we've kind of figured out the average number of story points per day per person and then use the number of days that people are going on leave over the next sprint period to estimate how many we can do. Because that that at least gets us in the right ballpark as opposed to looking at without the calendar, you know, right in mm. front of you all the time, you just look at the number of story points and you, do I feel good about this? Do I feel bad about this? You know, and then not having really any, any justification or data to support <laughs> your feelings one way or the other. True. And, and that's one thing, you know, having the data. So we started uh, tracking our, our story points per sprint. Um, so we have that in, in in Confluence where we we track the number of story points that we finished the previous sprints and the sprints before that. So that and that data helps or helped us, you know, um, think about how many story points we can finish the next sprint. Yeah, Nate's asking in the podcast channel in, in Slack uh, how far off we were in determining team velocity and the number of story points per item the first few times we did this. I know that you weren't on the Asian efficiency team when when it first started implementing Scrum, but you have been a part of the Asian efficiency team when people have, for example, come and joined the the growth hacking team, and we we kind of have to rethink, you know, what what does this what does this look like? How how many story points can we actually execute? So, can you, based on your experience, answer Nate's question about? how far off we were and then maybe what we did to correct it. Yeah. Um, for, for new tasks, something that that's entirely new for, uh, for example, if it's, uh, a new product, I would say that we tend to be off between, uh, you know, three to five story points. Right. Um, but again, going back to, um, to, to scrum and how, the 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 scrum process helps out is that when the next sprint comes then we can adjust that yep exactly so again kaizen figure (laughs) out what worked what didn't work and then adjust accordingly which is why when you're just getting started with scrum you probably don't want to do like four week sprints you want Mm -hmm. to keep it short you know that's correct like um for some they'd start with one week sprints yep yep exactly This episode of The Productivity Show is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. I have a Casper mattress myself, and I love it. My wife and I both agree that our Casper mattress is the most comfortable mattress that we have ever had. And that's because Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature through the night. Plus, you don't feel like you're sinking into a Casper mattress because it's very comfortable and supportive. It really does just feel amazing. So if you're ready to start sleeping ahead of the curve, buying a Casper is easy. You can order online and your mattress is delivered to your door in a compact box. In fact, when you see it, you'll say, there's no way a mattress fits inside that box. Just carry the box into your room, break it open, and your Casper mattress expands. It's incredibly easy. And if for whatever reason you decide you don't like your Casper mattress, they have free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. So you can buy a Casper mattress Try it risk-free for 100 nights, and if you don't like it, they'll come and pick it up. 
This is so much better than laying on a mattress in one of those big showrooms. Casper gets it. Considering we spend one third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. And that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. Now, here's the best part. You can save $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com TPS and using promo code TPS at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com TPS and using promo code TPS at checkout. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode of The Productivity Show. There's another piece to this which makes this work for us, and that is the daily huddle. So this is kind of the daily stand-up from Scrum Cannon, but do you want to just explain a little bit about how our daily huddle process works? Well, so our, our, our daily huddle, or for others, is stand-up meeting or the daily stand-up, it happens every day at the same time it doesn't take more than more than 15 minutes so um we go through and each team member would go through you know what their tasks are for the day what they will be working on and everyone gets ideas to what everyone is going to be working on um, that day as well and most importantly we also talk about what our roadblocks are, you know, what would stop us from or what would hinder us from completing uh, completing a task. By vocalizing this, it's basically, you know, giving the avenue for the rest of the team to, you know, say, okay, what what can I what can I do to help or even just offer? Don't worry about that. I'll help you out with that. So that's very uh, very integral part of the of our daily huddle. And then before our huddle would end, we'd go through our our sprint board. So as a scrum master, my role is just really to go over the sprint board and, and, and look at what are the items that are still stuck in the backlog or has been in progress for a couple of days now and ask the individual uh, individual team members as to, you know, what can I do to help or what uh, what do we as a team need to do to help you out so that you move this item from in progress to done? Because my goal is to, one of my goal is really for the sprint to finish and all the tasks are in the done column and nothing gets rolled over. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So the daily huddle, there's a couple things that happen prior to that daily huddle. Uh, so let's just back up a little bit, maybe talk about some of the technology that we use. Uh, it's not a secret. We've mentioned it many times on the podcast that we are invested in the Atlassian suite of software. So we use Confluence for all the documentation, and that includes all of the, the meeting notes. So for our sprint retrospectives, for example, those are all documented in Confluence. There's a, a page for every single meeting that we have. And then all of the sprint management that happens inside of of Jira, um, and we'll come back to that in a second. I want to ask you what your opinion is of Jira compared to you know general web software that you've used. But since we're talking about the daily huddle, uh, what people will do is they will create a blog post inside of Confluence with a, a list of things that they're planning to work on that day, and then that gets pasted into HipChat in a separate room called daily huddle with roadblocks and you list any roadblocks that you, you might have, uh, how effective do you find that process to be Marmel? I think it's a great process cause we've been doing it for, uh, a few years now and it, it 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 works for us i think the visibility for the entire team is really important you know just um knowing that for example let's just say let's take very uh uh let's take marie as an example uh right now that she's currently creating you know the dojo um module and seeing that and knowing um what she needs to do next i already know that she has a roadblock for one of her tasks and knowing that gives me the ability to help her out and for the rest of the team as well. So um, for us to ship um, faster, as, as Tan would say, then that visibility, that transparency is really important. What do you think about Jira specifically? So I know that 
there are some things that we've customized inside of Jira. A lot of people use Jira for like software development, mm-hmm. and we're not using it to track bugs or anything like that. Um, but I know you've got some experience with Jira. You've put together some custom workflows for for me for the podcast stuff. Uh, how how do you think Jira helps us in terms of executing Scrum? I love Jira. <laughs> I've used other uh, products before, but Jira is a league on its own. Right? So one thing that I love about Jira, you know, aside from having having different workflows for different type of projects, is just um, having that visual board for everyone to see. You know, um, just one click of a button, well, my bookmark anyway, and it immediately shows me what's in to be reviewed, what's in in progress, what's in the backlog, and what's already done. So the visual really, um, really helps. Yeah, definitely. And and if you are not implementing Scrum with a, a huge team, maybe Jira is a little bit overkill. So True. the boards, for example, that's something that you can do in Trello. You can do it in Asana, which I know that that's actually where agent efficiency started using Scrum was with uh, with Asana. And actually, I shouldn't say that with Scrum specifically, but I know that Asian Efficiency used Asana back in the day. So, you know, use use uh, whatever lightweight application you you want until you hit that ceiling. Uh, I wouldn't just jump into to Jira if you you know are are a solopreneur who's trying to get things things rolling. Uh, I think it's probably probably overkill. Yeah. Do you agree? I do agree. And um, Asana has evolved. Like before, they did not even have the boards. They just had the linear tasks. So if you are a solopreneur um, or a, a very small team, like a team of two, then I think Asana or Trello would do. Yep. Yep. I agree. Actually, one other thing I uh, I want to go back and, and revisit, uh, I realized we skipped over in, in our sprint meeting, was the uh, the gratitude component. Uh, what is your experience with that? And maybe that can kind of lead us into why we love Scrum and some of the, the challenges that we've overcome. Um, I did not know anything about the, grat- the, the round table of gratitude before I joined Asian Efficiency. And this is one of our practices that I really like. And one thing that I keep sharing, like when I attended the, the, the Scrum conference, this one thing I shared and everyone was like, wow, you really do that. Yes, we do. And you know, the round table of gratitude is really just highlighting the members of the team that that you feel very grateful for. Um, it could be like, Mike, I, I'm grateful for everything that you do, you know, for the, especially for the podcast, being the product owner. And, you know, and hearing that, um, for example, if someone is grateful for what I did, it really pushes you forward to do your best. Right? Because you know that your work is, your, your work is recognized and you make other people feel happy as well. Yeah, exactly. And that that's one of the challenges that we've had implementing Scrum that uh, we've we've kind of fixed with the roundtable gratitude. But uh, maybe let's jump to these challenges. So number one is that unhappy people lead to low productivity as a team. So uh, Tan has mentioned before that happy people are productive people. And he's talked about how this gratitude ritual, this is really part of Asian efficiency's secret sauce. <laughs> Um, but there's a couple other things that we do to make sure that people on the team are are happy. Do you want to maybe explain uh, how this works? Yeah. So, um, so we have the roundtable gratitude, and at the same time, in our sprint, we actually have an issue called the happiness issue. Um, so, um, each team member will um, will indicate as to what. Basically, the question is, what will make you happy this sprint? So on an every day during the huddle, we discuss that. So where are you with your happiness issue? And sometimes one, uh, the happiness of the team member is, all, is dependent on someone else. So it's going to be teamwork. <laughs> right, right. Which really gets at the heart of, uh, of Scrum in generally. Uh, can you give some examples, maybe just from stuff that you've put on that happiness issue, or if you want to share things that other people have have put there as well, just to give some give people an idea of what kinds of things we include in the happiness issue? I can I can share my last happiness issue for for this sprint. 
My happiest issue for this sprint was to be able to work on the entreport campaigns on my own. Now, this might not mean much for, for some, but Brooks just started training me on entreport, um, you know, creating campaigns and the pages. So um, I guess it was a challenge for me that if I can do it, you know, independently without bothering Brooks, then it would make me happy. And then once I did that, yes, it really did make me happy. I felt so accomplished. <laughs> right. I know one of mine not too long ago when I was going on vacation was that you would be able to review and publish the podcasts as they were being released, uh, even though I wasn't going to to be there. So uh, yeah, there's definitely a team component to this. And uh, what I found interesting about this exercise is that a lot of times you don't even think about this unless you're asked, like, what would actually make you happy this sprint? It's easy mm-hmm. to just focus on the work that needs to get done and just try to plow through it all. But uh, it's it's worth it to think about how can we make people happy because then they're more effective uh, when they're when they're working on the things that are in the sprint. True. And um, I think for some, it's t- been taken for granted, I think. So... Yeah. And a simple thing as, you know, it would make me happy if after this sprint, I can take a break, right? Mental health, very important. (laughs) Yep. Unhappy people leading to lower productivity as a team is one of the challenges that we've overcome. Do you want to talk to us about another challenge? Yeah. um, One challenge that um, we had uh, before is not having a clear uh, definition of done. So, um, when we create a, ta- uh, a task or a story, we we have the acceptance criteria, but most often than not, the acceptance criteria is really not enough. So because uh, because of that, we uh, we had a low th- uh, low throughput and our velo- uh, and low velocity as well because um, we didn't know or it was unclear if uh, a task was done or not. But ever since we implemented the definition of done, because it was clear when it's when a task is already done or when it's not done, then we um, our what do you call this our velocity increased in finishing those story points also. (laughs) Right. I think another thing that I've recently discovered about uh, related to a clear definition of done. Uh, you mentioned that all issues now have acceptance criteria and the definition of done. Another thing that helps with this, I think, is the additional resources that might be needed for somebody to complete the the issue. So, for example, uh, our right now, anyways, our our podcast issues are are there's two two halves to them. Basically, there's the recording issues where we put together the show notes, we record everything, we send it off to the editor, and then there's the publishing issues. So once we get things back, reviewing the WordPress post before it gets published, reviewing the audio to make sure there's no glitches, everything sounds good, and then uh, composing the email that's going to go out to the people who have subscribed to get the podcast updates. Uh, And then the publishing issues specifically, where uh, even though I'm the product owner, like we mentioned at the beginning, uh, I don't... Uh, I don't. Phys- I review the uh, usually the WordPress post and the and the audio, but you do a lot of the entreport stuff with the the emails. So um, it's great. You know, if we're the only two people who are working on this. We know exactly what to do. But what if somebody, you know, one of us is gone and somebody else needs to jump in and do this thing? Putting the links to the standard operating procedure documents that pertain to the task, uh, I believe, is very helpful as well. Correct, especially you know the SOPs that that we add in there. It's really helpful. Yep. Now, so that's the the second challenge. What's the third one? The third uh, challenge, and uh, we've discussed this before, was really the story points. Um, we uh, before we never hit a hundred percent. Like in one sprint, we we'd agreed on finishing one hundred forty story points, and we'd end up finishing finishing just eighty story points. So there was this huge disconnect as to you know what can we really do in in one in one sprint. Um, and then we had coaching with a with our with a 
third party, not just um, not just me, but also Tan, and that really that really helped a lot. And also just looking at the team calendar um, helped as well. And then discussing as to you know what is our velocity per day metric. When we talk about velocity per day metric, we take into consideration the number of working days um, in the sprint. Um, who is going to be on on, um, on leave as well? Then we also standardize you know how many story points uh, stats are. For example the podcast issues and one lesson that we've learned over time is that you know when we start if it's again if it's a if it's a new issue we usually start with a higher story point and the more times we do it and that then the the smaller the story point becomes yeah generally that that is the 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 way that it works uh there are definitely other things where you know things become more difficult because uh, we decide to use a different technology. I know you were working on a lot of the transcripts for the things in the the dojo, and we had an issue recently where we thought these were going to be really simple issues, but we decided to use uh, a service which was a little bit less expensive, <laughs> and it made things a lot harder, and we discovered that in the middle of the sprint. True. Um, again, because it being an iterative process, then we learned our lesson. So the next sprint, we were able to adjust the story points accordingly. Yeah. And I know that we're not the only ones who mess stuff up and then <laughs> fix it. Uh, Ruben in the, the podcast room is talking. He's replying to uh, Nate's question about how far off we weren't determining team velocity. <laughs> he says it wasn't even computable. It took us four sprints to get anything <laughs> even close. <laughs> so, and Tan has got a, a note here in the the show notes. You know that that even the pros are not great at this. And Tan has shared the the story before about you're building a, a building with a hundred floors, and, and it, maybe it takes you a day to build the first floor. Does that mean it's going to take you a hundred days to build all hundred floors? Probably not because you're going to add more complexity as you go. And uh, like I said, really, no matter how much experience you have with this, the tendency is to assume that things are just going to go smoothly. And that's not always the case. It actually reminds me of, I think it was during the time that uh, you were developing the finishers fast lane material. Like um, when you started working on, on, on one, on one video, let's just say it was this, uh, story uh, this number of story points but when you were doing the rest because your energy was already low then it felt like the story points should have been should have been a lot higher i'm not sure if you remember that i do remember <laughs> that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's one 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 thing to consider as well yep yep that's a very good point all right so those are the three challenges that we've had implementing scrum overestimating and underestimating the story points uh unhappy people leading to low productivity as a team and what you can do to make people happy and then also not having a clear definition of done and some things that you can do to make sure that the issues are clear uh, now let's talk about the last section here about why we love scrum here at asian efficiency and i know that there's five reasons listed here you want to talk us through the first one? First one is visibility for the company owner, or in this case, Tan, to see where things are at. That's one. Like when it comes to projects. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe he should have been on here yeah. to, to explain <laughs> why this is so important. But <laughs> speaking for him, you want to kind of explain why it's important for the company owner to kind of be able to just see where things are at instead of having to ask people where things are at. Like what we have in in Confluence, because when before we start, you know, any sprint, we have the quarterly planning, right? And then we have the goals, and those goals are basically uh, tied up to what we do in each sprint. So, with that said, and having those goals in place, and you know, if I were ten, I don't want to go to everyone in the team just asking where we're at with all the tasks. I just have to, you know go to the board or go to, go to our main page confluence and it's there i already know where we are at or if a certain uh task is um if i want to know if a task is done and it's a high level task then i just have to go to the board i don't have to bother anyone especially if it's a weekend nobody's working during the weekend <laughs> right well no it's supposed to be working over the weekend <laughs> yeah but i know some who does <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, but that's all documented. And that's one of the values of using software like Confluence and Jira. And also, I think, con- constantly updating the issues. One of the things that you ask everybody to do when we have the, the sprint planning meeting is to indicate on there. And we do that through comments. Uh, where things are at when you're planning to work on something. So this particular sprint, for example, I had uh, a couple of presentations to do for Finishers Fastlane last week, and uh, there was another uh, podcast issue related to uh, a time-sensitive podcast issue that needed to be completed, and then I was out one day for uh, a conference. So um, my big task of rewriting a blog post, which I'm going to get done before the end of the sprint, uh, but I wasn't going to be able to work on it until today. You know, and so I commented on the issue, said I'm not going to be able to work on this until as we're recording this, you know, March 19th. Um, and then you don't have to bug me. Tan doesn't have to bug me and say, hey, where where are things at with this? Because it's commented in the issue. And I think that's something that we've gotten pretty good at is consistently commenting on the issues. Do you want to explain why that is so important? And maybe if you have any examples off the top of your head of like maybe somebody who's commented and we've realized that maybe this isn't the right thing. So we've been able to course correct and saved a bunch of work. Um, I can't remember on the top of my head for an example, but one thing that I can um, share as to why it's important that we comment on issues is, for example, if if I started on a task and suddenly the next day I was sick and I couldn't and could not work, then anybody from the team just basing it on my comments, they already know where I'm at and they can just take over. Right. So there's continuity of work. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one thing that I just thought of, just as an example, and I don't think this has happened recently, but one uh, one example of why it's so important to be communicating regarding the tasks would be for the creation of videos for like the dojo, because there may be something in, let's say a keynote file that isn't quite right. And if we're having constant communication about it as it's being developed, we can fix it real quickly as opposed to, let's say you're working on this in isolation. Okay. And you aren't online. you just have all the files on your computer. You're working hard, but you're not telling people what you're doing. All of a sudden you're like, there, I've got the final video done. And you realize that there's a typo in the, the keynote file and I'm reviewing it. And I say, okay, Marmel, that's great, but you got to fix this, this, and this. <laughs> and it creates a bunch more work. Yeah. So, and that's one reason as well that once we start working on something, um, we always store it in Dropbox where everyone can see. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned why we love Scrum number one, highly visible for the company owner, see where things are at. Uh, what's the second one? The second one is a unified language for all people in the company to discuss uh, work stuff. And because everyone in, in, in basically in Asian efficiency, uh, knows about Scrum, you know, the terminologies we use, uh, basically, we know we're speaking the same language when it comes to that. Right? We talk about, uh, when we say TBR, we all know that it's, you know, to be reviewed. Or when we say, what's your roadblock? We already know that we're talking about, okay, what's what's going to stop you from doing a certain task? So that's very, very important as well. It will come as a challenge, especially especially if it's a, if it's a new team member. But because we use those every single day, you know, especially during, during the huddle that everyone else gets, you know, acquainted with it as well. Nice. Uh, what's the third one? Self-organizing team. When we talk about self-organizing team, we look at the board and just because a task is not assigned to anybody, it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to work on it, right? Anybody on 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 the team can pick up on that task and work on it. And if they stop, and like I mentioned earlier, if someone goes sick, someone else can um, can take over and having a self-organizing team as well. You know, you already know what your bandwidth is. If you can take on more tasks or if you can't. Nice. And the fourth one, we kind of talked about this a little bit already, but the transparency, uh, everybody knows what the status of a certain project or task is. Uh, you have listed in the show notes here. There's no red tape. 
Um, but what is the fifth reason why we love Scrum? And then maybe you can talk to specifically what we've done uh, regarding this. Lastly, it's really continuous improvement because of the iterations. Like and and uh, the things that we learn during ret- during retrospective, we're able to implement the next sprint. One example um, is the podcast issue, right? Before, what happened was uh, the podcast issue was just one. The recording and the publishing was just one issue. And what would what usually happened before is that the podcast issues would tend to roll over. So that's why we we, we there are sprint uh, sprints were in. We would not hit one hundred percent because the issue rolled over. And it's it wasn't really the uh, the fault of anyone in the team because for our podcast issues we have you know our third party, right? And we really don't have any control over items that we we give to to another organization or a third party company. So that's where the plan to uh, to divide the podcast issues into two. And ever since we've done that, meaning we have the uh, recording issue and the production issue, I don't think we've ever had a podcast issue roll over. Yeah, I, I don't think we've had, at least if they have rolled over, it's, it's not very many. It's certainly not every single sprint anymore. <laughs> Um, there's another thing that we've done though, regarding this continuous improvement or Kaizen, where we've got these specific, uh, Kaizen issue in our sprints. Do you want to explain how we implement that and what that process looks like? Cause that's a little bit different than the standard scrum issue. Yeah. So, um, in our sprint, we, we add the Kaizen issue. So Kaizen, again, you know, um, continuous improvement as well. And is one of our, of our core values in Asian efficiency. So for the Kaizen issue, each team member basically, um, would contribute, uh, a Kaizen issue, like what they would do to, um, uh, for improvement, um, for example, it could be as, as simple as there is a typo in a blog post or in a sales letter and they're going to um, change that or correct that. Or it could be as complex as automation, make things better for, for our customer success team. Which is where Brooks, Brooks. really shines. <laughs> yes. He's really good at the automation stuff. <laughs> Cool. So just to recap real quickly, the five reasons we love Scrum over everything else. Uh, Number one, it's highly visible for the company owner to see where things are at. Number two, unified language for all people in the company to discuss work stuff. Number three, it facilitates a self-organizing team just because it's not assigned to you doesn't mean you can't work on it. Number four, there's transparency. Everyone knows what the status of a project or task is. And number five, there's continuous improvement, Kaizen, because of the iterative process. Uh, Maybe we can wrap up here, Marmel, with some of the biggest lessons that you've learned regarding Scrum. So what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to implement Scrum for the first time with their team? The best advice I could give is don't feel disheartened if at first it doesn't work. You know, um, always seek for things that you can um, improve on. It's very important because Scrum gives you the ability to really just improve every sprint then make use of that. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Marmel and have a little bit better idea of how we work here at Asian Efficiency. I also hope that this episode inspired you and gave you some ideas about how you can improve the way that your organization gets work done. Even if it's just a small improvement, like we talked about in this episode, those small improvements can have a significant impact in the long run. And if you're looking for more small improvements, that can translate into big results, check out the Dojo, our online productivity community. The Dojo is the place where like-minded achievers share their own productivity workflows so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. In addition to the incredible community, 
Dojo Access gives you a comprehensive video library that includes dozens of premium productivity training modules that you can't find anywhere else. And a brand new video course is delivered every single month. Now here's the best part. You can get access to everything the Dojo has to offer for only $1 for your first month. But this offer is just for podcast listeners. So if you want to take advantage of this special offer, you have to go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You'll get access to the entire dojo for a dollar, including the private video training library, the community, which can help hold you accountable for reaching your goals, and you get direct access to myself, Marmel, Brooks, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. But that special $1 for your first month offer is only available at theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 191. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or a star in Overcast as it really helps us out and helps other people find out about the show. The show is on Twitter as at ProductivityFM. And if you want to get your questions answered and get mentioned on the show, you can send us a tweet with the hashtag AskTPS. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday.